Chapter Two of Superwomen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Superwomen by Albert Payson Terhune. Chapter Two Ninon de l'Enclose, Premier Siren of Two Centuries. This story opens with the account of a deathbed scene somewhat different from any other you may have read it is brought in to throw a light on what heredity and careful instruction can do in moulding a young mind but don't necessarily skip it for that reason one day in sixteen thirty the sieur de l'enclos lay dying in his great dreary bedroom in his great dreary touraine castle there was no especial tragedy about the closing of his life he was elderly very rich and possessed of a record for having used to the full every minute of a long and exciting life beside his bed stood a fifteen-year-old girl his only daughter anne affectionately nicknamed by him and later by all europe and still later by all history ninon she was something below medium height plump with a peach-blow complexion huge dark eyes and a crown of red-gold hair ninon and her father had been chums kindred spirits from the girl's babyhood the dying noble opened his eyes they rested lovingly on the daughter who had bent down to hear the whispered sounds his white lips were striving to frame then with a mighty effort delanclos breathed his solemn last words of counsel to the girl counsel intended to guide her through the future that he knew must lie before so rich and so beautiful a damsel this was his message to her ninon little girl of mine in dying i have but one single regret i regret that i did not get more fun out of life i warn you daughter do not make the terrible mistake that i have made live live so that at the last you will not have the same cause for sorrow so saying the sieur de l'enclos bade an exemplary farewell to earth and to its lost opportunities of fun to judge from his career as well as from his last words one may venture the optimistic belief that he had not thrown away as many such priceless chances as he had led his daughter to believe ninon then at fifteen was left alone in the world and her actions in this sad state conformed to those of the customary helpless orphan about as closely as had her father's death speech to the customary last words with a shrewdness miraculous in so young a girl she juggled her terrain property in a series of deals that resulted in its sale at a little more than double its actual value rich beyond all fear of want she settled in paris it was not there or then that her love life set in that had begun long before as a mere child she had flashed upon her little world of touraine as a wonder girl the superwoman charm was hers from the first and she retained it in all its mysterious power through the seventeenth century and into the eighteenth men vying for her love when she was ninety a full year before her father died she had met the youthful prince de marsillac and had at a glance wholly captivated his semi-royal fancy it was ninon's first love affair with a prince she was dazzled by it just a little she whom monarchs later could not dazzle 
she was only fourteen and in touraine a princely admirer was a novelty at marsillac's boyish supplication ninon consented to elope with him off they started and back to their respective homes they were brought in dire disgrace there was all sorts of a scandal in the neighbourhood the princeling was soundly spanked and packed off to school the sieur de l'enclos came in for grave popular disapproval by laughingly refusing to mete out the same stern penalties to ninon to paris then at sixteen went the orphan ninon laughing at convention and at the threats of her shocked relatives she set up housekeeping on her own account managing the affairs of her rive gauche mansion with the ease of a fifty-year-old grand dame on paris burst the new star in a month the city was crazy over her not her beauty alone nor her wit nor her peculiar elegance nor her incredibly high spirits not any or all of these but an all-compelling magnetism drew men to her in shoals and swarms by reason of her birth and breeding she took at once her place in the court society of the day before she was twenty she was setting the fashions for feminine paris and was receiving in her salon the stateliest ladies of the court in equal numbers with their far less stately husbands frankly she declared herself a votary not of love but of loves for constancy she had no use whatever one admirer who had won a temporary lease of her gay heart swore he would kill himself unless ninon would swear to love him to eternity and as she loved him ardently she made the rash vow when at the end of ninety days she gave him his dismissal he reproached her wildly and bitterly for her broken pledge you swore you would love me to eternity he raged and now and now she explained as one might soothe a cranky child i have kept my vow i have loved you for three endless months that is an eternity for love and three months remained to the end ninon's record for fidelity to any one man which was perhaps as well for the waiting-list was as long as that of a hyper-fashionable club and now we come to a story that i do not ask you to believe although all france unquestionably and unquestioningly believed it whether ninon herself at first coined it as a joke or whether it was a hoax that she herself credited it is certain that she grew at last to have firm faith in it one night so ninon always declared when she was about twenty she returned home late from a ball at the hotel st evremond as she stood before the mirror of her boudoir after her maid had left her for the night she became aware of a shadowy reflection behind her turning she saw a man clad all in black his face hidden by the low brim of his hat and by his cloak's folds what little was visible of his countenance was ghastly pale ninon ever fearless did not cry out for help instead she approached the black shrouded stranger and demanded to know his business and how he had penetrated to her close-barred room the man in black by way of answer drew one sable-gloved hand from beneath his cloak in his fingers he grasped a large phial wherein sparkled and glowed a strange pinkish liquid life is short said the visitor 
as ninon still looked in amazing inquiry from his half-hidden face to the rose-coloured phial he carried life is short but youth is far shorter when youth is gone love is gone love is the goal of life without youth there is no love without love life is a desert the gifts of youth and beauty are yours would you make them long-lasting instead of transient blessings that shall too soon become mere memories as ninon dumb with wonder hesitated to reply he continued the admiration of men melts like summer snow at the first touch of age in a woman their admiration is now yours would you hold it one drop a day from this phial in your bath will keep you young will keep you beautiful will retain for you the love of men he set the flask on her dressing-table and turned to go you will see me again he said very slowly and distinctly just three days before your death and he vanished to a generation that has substituted science for superstition this tale of the man in black reads like stark nonsense perhaps it is but no one in the seventeenth century thought so it was an age rife with demoned legends legends of favors granted to mortals in return for a residuary mortgage on their souls and all that sort of thing the tale of faust was still almost brand new compared with many of the traditions that then passed for solid fact the incident of ninon and the man in black was almost commonplace we laugh at such things probably with due justification yet was ninon's adventure more inexplicable than some of the absolutely authenticated cases of cagliostro's magic as for a single example when on a certain date cagliostro announced in paris the empress maria theresa of austria died this morning this was long before the time of telegraphy or even of railroads it was a journey of several days from paris to vienna dispatches reaching the french court a week later announced the unfortunate death of maria theresa at the very hour named by cagliostro ninon may have invented the man in black or he may have been one of the many quacks who hung on the fringes of courts and made capital out of the superstitious folly of the rich or perhaps at all events seventy years later ninon had either a most remarkable encounter with the same man or else in her dying moments she took odd trouble to substantiate a silly lie that was nearly three-quarters of a century old finish the story and then form your own theories paris was alive in those days with titled women whose antecedents were doubtful and about whose characters there could unluckily be no doubt they moved in the best society or rather in the highest many of them made a living by one form or another of graft and always there was an exclusive class of women who would not receive them Ninon quickly proved that she had neither lot nor parcel with these titled adventuresses from first to last she accepted not a sou not a jewel not a favor political or otherwise from the grand seigneurs who delighted to do her honor from first to last too she accepted as her due the friendship of the most respectable and respected members of her own sex she was never an adventuress never a grafter never a climber 
she loved for love's own sake and if the men to whom in lightning succession she gave her resilient heart chanced often to be among the foremost of the realm it was only because the qualities that made them what they were made them also the type of man ninon preferred she never benefited in any material way from their adoration the nearest approach was when richelieu the grim old iron cardinal bent his ecclesiastical and consumptive body before her altar she used her power over richelieu freely but never for herself always to soften the punishment of some luckless man or woman who had fallen under the rod of his eminence's displeasure thereby and through richelieu's love for her ninon clashed with no less a personage than the queen of france herself when anne of austria came from spain to be the bride of louis the thirteenth of france richelieu fell in love with the pretty young queen anne had not wit enough to appreciate the cardinal's genius or to fear his possible hate so seeing in him only a homely and emaciated little man whose pretensions she considered laughable the queen hit on a scheme of ridding herself forever of richelieu's love sighs she pretended to listen to his courtship then told him coyly that his austerity and lack of human weakness and of humour made her afraid of him the enamoured richelieu insisted that he could be as human and as fun-loving as any other man anne bade him prove it by dressing as a circus clown and dancing a saraband for her she said she would hide behind the curtains of a room in the palace and watch him do it then were she convinced that he could really unbend and could she overcome her fear of his lofty dignity she would come forth and tell him so the all-powerful richelieu the man of blood whom even the haughtiest nobles feared so far lost every remnant of sanity as to do as the queen bade him as a harlequin he capered and leaped about the empty room his eyes ever on the curtain at its far end suddenly in the midst of his idiotic performance the curtain was dashed aside a howl of laughter swept the room and the queen stood revealed to his gaze clustered around her and reeling with mirth were a score of courtiers men and women both from that day richelieu was anne's sworn foe he wrecked her repute with the king and for a long time managed to have her kept prisoner in the palace in a thousand ways he made her life a torment and now through the grim cardinal's love for ninon de l'enclose anne thought she saw a way of striking back at her enemy she sent for ninon chided her for her mode of living and ended by ordering her sharply to retire at once to a convent ninon simply smiled at the command curtsied to the queen and said demurely i will gladly go to any convent your majesty may designate just as soon as i become as unattractive to men as is the woman who wants to send me there she left the royal presence and so great was the power of the girl's beauty in the hearts of those in france's high places and did not dare put her command into effect the tale of the conversation spread like the prehistorically bromidic wildfire and ninon won new laurels thereby the duke of st evremond at that time one of the greatest men in europe 
offered her his heart and his princely fortune she replied that his heart was a precious gift which she would prize forever or for a month or two at the very least but that she had no use whatever for his fortune as she had all the money she needed and more would only be a burden and the duke veteran of many a love affair where fortunes had counted for far more than hearts made the quaint historic reply mademoiselle tu es un honnête homme mademoiselle you are an honest man three generations of sevignas father son and grandson in turn loved ninon during her seventy-five years of heart-breaking love for her seemed a hereditary trait in the Savigna family but it was the old duke of st evremond of all her numberless wooers for whom ninon cared most though their love was soon dead they remained loyal and devoted friends to the day of the duke's death their correspondence prettily formal yet with an undercurrent of true affection is still extant and through life ninon ran always to the duke with every sorrow or perplexity notably when at the age of sixty she discovered her first wrinkle an all but invisible crease between her brows in horror she related to st evremond the fearful tragedy with a laugh he banished her dread that is no wrinkle ma petite he reassured her love placed it there to nestle in the mighty prince de conde the left-handedly royal d'estrées la rochefoucauld the machiavelli of france and many other of like rank and attainment were proud to count themselves ninon's worshippers to no one did she show more favour than to another king of france or scarron the humpback poet so long as they could amuse her ninon gave no thought to their titles or wealth or name to her one was as good as another to none did she give fidelity nearly all of them she treated outrageously yet of them all only one was ever driven away by her caprices before she was fully ready to dismiss him that sole exception was the gallant comte de fiesque who for a brief space of time held her wandering heart and thoughts ninon as a rule was not quarrelsome but she and de fiesque were as flint and steel their affair was one fierce series of spats and disputes that blazed out at last in a pyrotechnic row as a result of this climax quarrel de fiesque scuttled away in red wrath vowing that he was for ever and ever done with so ill-tempered and cranky a woman as ninon de l'enclose ninon was aghast paris was aghast france was aghast the love world at large was aghast for the first time in her whole hectic life ninon de l'enclose had been deserted actually deserted and by a nobody like de fiesque she who had snubbed a king had tired of conde had yawned daintily in the half-monarchial face of d'estrée himself it was unbelievable for an instant her fame as a peerless and all-conquering wonder woman threatened to go into partial eclipse but only for an instant de fiesque placed during a little hour on a pinnacle of flaring originality 
began to receive tenderly reproachful letters from ninon beseeching him to come back to her saying she had been wrong in their dispute begging his forgiveness ninon to whom princes had knelt trembling promising all sorts of meek womanly behaviour if only he would cure her heartbreak by a word of love these letters of hers to her deserter would have moved an equestrian statue to maudlin tears but defiesque's pride had been too deeply cut by that last quarrel to let him relent besides he was vastly enjoying his novel position as the only man on earth to whom ninon de l'enclos had made such an appeal so while his fellow courtiers alternately envied him and longed to kick him they wondered what might be the secret of his fascination over ninon thus for a few days matters stood then ninon hit on a master-stroke the thing that had first attracted defiesque to her had been the glory of her red-gold hair he had loved to bury his face in its shimmering soft masses to run its silk strands through his fingers incidentally in the course of their epoch-marking quarrel he had called ninon supremely vain and selfish now she cut off all her wonderful hair cut it off wrapped it up and sent it without a word of explanation to defiesque he understood she had made this supreme sacrifice for him for the man who had deserted her to him she was offering this chief beauty of hers defiesque's pride vanished through the streets he ran bareheaded to ninon's house into her presence he dashed and flung himself at her feet imploring forgiveness for his brutality and vowing that he loved her alone in all the world but the rest of the dialogue did not at all work out along any recognized lines of lovers reconciliations ninon patiently heard to an end defiesque's blubbered protestations of devotion then very calmly and triumphantly she pointed to the door the interview was over so was the affair ninon de l'enclos was vindicated no lover had ever permanently deserted her there was no man so stubborn that she could not lure him back to her the defiesque incident was closed all that remained for ninon to do was to introduce among paris women a temporary fashion of wearing the hair short which she promptly did and thus she suffered not at all by her ruse some two centuries later george sand who had read of the incident tried the same trick to win back alfred de musset in her case it was a right dismal failure de musset too was entirely cognizant of the story of ninon's shorn hair and even without her hair ninon was lovely while even with hers george sand was hideous queen christina of sweden came to france ninon delighted the eccentric swede christina made a confidant and familiar friend of her she begged ninon to return with her to sweden promising her a title and estates and a high place at court ninon called unexpectedly at christina's paris apartments one morning to talk over the plan she entered the queen's drawing-room unannounced there on the floor lay a man one of the swedish officials in christina's suite 
he was dead murdered and was lying as he had fallen when he had been stricken down above him stood christina at her side the assassin who had struck the blow the queen turned to ninon and explained the official had displeased her majesty by some undiplomatic act and taking justice into her own hands christina had ordered another member of her suite to murder the offender she was as unconcerned over the killing as if she had ordered a rabid dog to be shot ninon fled in panic fear from the apartment nor ever again could she be induced to come into the presence of the loyal murderess thus ended the swedish project though the confidential friendship of one queen was thus taken forcibly from ninon she had later the satisfaction of helping on the cause of another and uncrowned queen it is her one recorded experience in dabbling with politics and the role she played therein is interesting king louis the fourteenth son of that anne of austria who had hated ninon had reached the age when life began at times to drag the grand monarch had still fewer reasons than those of ninon's father to deplore the missing of any good times but youth had fled from him at last he found himself in middle age a sour-faced undersized man with a huge periwig a huger outjutting beak of a nose and wearing egregiously high boots to eke out his height people a very few of them and at a safe distance were beginning to laugh at his pretensions as a lady-killer nature too was proving herself less a tender mother than a gorgon-like stepmother by racking him with dyspepsia bad nerves and gout these causes led him to turn temporarily to what he termed the higher life in other words by his whim the court took to wearing sombre garments changing its scandalous conversation for pious reflection and its unprintable novels for works on philosophy whereat yawns of boredom assailed high heaven in the course of his brief penitence louis frowned majestically upon his tempest-tempered favourite madame de montspan and she tactless or oversure of her position scowled back harshly derided the new order of affairs and waxed more evil-tempered than ever in madame de montespan's household was a certain madame de maintenon widow of the humpbacked little scarron who had once sued for ninon de l'enclose's favour strangely enough his widow and ninon were close friends and at this court crisis ninon made the term friendship mean something she herself had plainly shown that she had no interest in the king now she set to work to make the king feel an interest in madame de maintenon whom louis in his long period of gaiety had always disliked ninon taught the widow how and when to throw herself in the king's way and how to treat him she coached her friend as a stage director coaches a promising but raw actor as a result when louis came smarting from a squabble with the fiery de montespan he would find himself by merest chance in the presence of de maintenon whose grave gentleness and attitude of awed devotion served as balm to his quarrel-jarred nerves he took to seeking out the wise and gentle widow of his own accord as he thought and spending more and more time in her company and de maintenon carefully coached by ninon the queen of hearts students 
managed to waken in the deadened royal brain a flicker of admiration that slowly warmed into love at that point ninon's genius achieved its most brilliant stroke under her instructions the widow gave the king's advances just the right sort of treatment she made it clear to louis that she scorned to be a royal favorite as a result one midnight there was a secret wedding in the palace chapel king louis the fourteenth becoming the legal if unacknowledged husband of the penniless humpback's meek widow ninon it is said being one of the ceremony's few witnesses ninon had played politics just once and with far-reaching results to history as de maintenon's future influence over her husband was to prove among the results the revocation of the edict of nantes is laid at de maintenon's door an act that partly depopulated france and partly populated america by this time ninon had become something more than a winner of hearts and a setter of fashions she found herself a social arbiter as well without an introduction to the illustrious ninon de l'enclose and a word of endorsement from her no young man could hope to make his way into paris society noblemen in the country sending their sons to paris for a career moved heaven and earth to obtain for them letters of introduction to ninon her lightest expression of opinion was everywhere quoted as inspired with a smile or a frown she could make or unmake men's futures at court had she so chosen she might have become with this amazing amount of power a most unbearable tyrant instead she used her power wisely and kindly charitable to a fault her tact and her money and her boundless influence were always making the way easy for someone or another for instance in her old age or rather in what would have passed for old age in any other woman she took an interest in a wizened monkey-like boy of the people she set him on the path to advancement and supplied him with the money for his education to his dying day the little man remembered her with a veneration most people would have bestowed on a saint even though he used the education she had given him to help in tearing down the monarchy whose nobles had been his benefactress's slaves he is known to fame as voltaire years came and went they merged into decades and quarter centuries the men who once had loved ninon de l'enclose grew old and tired and their places were taken by sons and then by grandsons dynasties changed the world rolled on new times brought new customs but ninon remained unchanged still beautiful still vibrant with all her early gay charm she remained to outward appearances what she had been for the past fifty years the grandsons of her girlhood suitors were as madly in love with her as had been their grandsires in love in society in fashion she was still the unquestioned sovereign throughout europe there was now no one who doubted the unadorned truth of the story concerning the man in black for it seemed that no mortal agency could have kept any woman so perennially young as the years passed folk fell to speculating on how many drops of the precious rose-coloured liquid might still remain in the phial and in scared voices they repeated the prophecy of the man in black you shall see me once again three days before your death 
perhaps now that you know Ninon better you may laugh less contemptuously at the tale of the man in black or at the least credit her with believing it throughout her life she never changed the story in any way nor could the shrewdest cross-examining lead her to contradict herself about any of its most minute details a haunting fear of the man in black's promised return was always in her mind even during her gayest days and nights as late as her ninetieth year men made vehement love to her at an age when most women are withered crones she still broke hearts men fought duels by the dozen for her favor in her old age a youth blew out his brains on her account during her later years a great sorrow came to her through no conscious fault of her own she was enmeshed in what was probably the most horrible tragedy of its sort in history this tragedy cannot even be touched on here in no book written in the english language can you find its complete details it is enough to say that the nameless horror of it wrecked Ninon's health and her mind leaving her for the time a mental and physical wreck slowly she recovered her health her brain and her unquenchable spirits her beauty had never been impaired and once more she ruled as queen of hearts now too she blossomed forth into literature becoming with ease a famous author her essays were quoted imitated lauded to the skies nor is there the slightest reason to doubt that she was their author always bluntly honest to a fault the woman who would not accept rank or money was not likely to accept the literary ideas of others and pass them off as her own also the style of her published work was identical with her private letters it is odd and possibly or possibly not significant that of the world's superwomen more have leaned towards literature than toward any other one pursuit the gift of writing comes nearer to being their one common trait than do beauty and all the other hackneyed siren charms the power that enables such women to win hearts appears to manifest itself by use of the pen to instance a very few of the hundreds of heartbreakers who were also authors letter-writers and so forth of greater or less note one has but to recall george sand Eda Menken, adrian le couvure ninon de l'enclos lola montez madame de sevigne madame recamier madame roland and marie stuart by seventeen o six there was scarce a man or woman left alive who remembered ninon when as a girl she had come first to paris youths who had worshipped her as a middle-aged woman were now aged men she herself was ninety to say that she was still a girl in her looks and actions is a gross exaggeration of course not the firmest believers in the man in black claim that but at ninety she was still beautiful still alluring and adorable as men continued to learn younger women women young enough to be her grandchildren were neglected for her sake it is said that on her ninetieth birthday she received a fervent declaration of love from a noble who had met her but a few days earlier then came the end on one day in seventeen o six ninon de l'enclos was in blooming health on the next she was dying she wrote a single line to one of her friends and dispatched it by a messenger 
the letter did not find the woman to whom it was addressed until nearly a week later three days from the time she wrote it ninon died the friend opening the letter read scrawled in a fear-shaken hand this sentence i have just seen the man in black again end of chapter two